Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network, and look at the time. The Tennessee Power Hour is here. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Shout out to Jakob Swanson. Dylan Taylor, and the chairman of the board, David Reed, for making the show happen. Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, down the hall as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody, our broadcast studios here at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Brewery and Old Smoky Moonshine Distillery. You can drop by any day uh, and join us live and grab some food and drink while you're here. Spent a lot of time last week discussing, uh, previewing, and recapping Tennessee and Bowling Green. We'll preview uh, a bit of the week for Tennessee and Pitt coming up. Also, Titans, they enter week one against the Cardinals. Julio Jones has restructured his contract along with Dak Prescott, who did that today for Dallas. Uh, we'll discuss what that means and some of the bigger storylines going into week one for Titans-Cardinals. Uh, but we start with the unfortunate truth of the Vanderbilt Commodores. We knew they were going to be bad. They may be historically bad for Vanderbilt programs. And before you think back and you say, Hut, look, there have been a lot of bad football teams played at Vandy. There have been. And some of these teams have lost some, really, uh, some, some games against some really poor opponents and some ugly games. Their loss on Saturday to ETSU was no fluke. ETSU should have scored more. This was a beating, a thorough beating to the Commodores. The better team was in FCS, and that is what is most alarming, is Clark Lee in game number one fielded a team that was not competitive against an FCS opponent. Watch out. And We ripped, that, to sh we ripped Derek Mason to shreds yeah. for his first game against Temple. Clark Lee deserves the same treatment. I'm sorry. It, 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 you can point I think the only, the only difference, Hutton, that I'll point out is that Derek Mason hurt himself in the build-up to that season because he was talking about SEC championships when he went to Atlanta. He was talking about building upon the success that started under James Franklin, and they were going to build on that success, and they went out and lost 37-7 to in the opener to Temple, a game where they were a big favorite. Now, this loss to ETSU is far worse than that loss to Temple. And I get that there were expectations coming into that first Derek Mason season, and there were only bad expectations about this season. But when you get manhandled by an FCS opponent that, oh, by the way, was without their starting quarterback and was without the SOCON Defensive Player of the Year from last year in this game, there are no excuses for that. This was a miserable performance by Vanderbilt. It was a miserable opener for Clark Lee. Doesn't mean that Clark Lee is going to be a failure in his time in, in Nashville or any of that. It's one game. We all understand that and the perspective of it. But he's 0 for 1. I mean, that was bad. Ken Seals was good a year ago. What happened? They had a freshman quarterback that all Vandy fans had their they fingers crossed him. that he wasn't going to be transferring out. Well, and they were thrilled when he was going to say because they had what they thought was going to be a future star at quarterback. He was terrible. 
I think the broadcast team said it was empty calories that he had at the end of the game with some yardage, and that was it. He wasn't just terrible. They, the plan was to rotate the quarterbacks. I'm going to get into this in a moment. This was, this was virtually unwatchable. And my TV, I've got uh, Comcast. And so <clears throat> it takes, I don't know, 15 seconds maybe. It felt like 15 minutes to go from regular <clears throat> TV over to ESPN3 streaming to, to, to convert from the TV signal over to the internet signal. It felt like an eternity waiting to flip from whatever I was flipping from to flip to Vanderbilt to watch the pieces of this game that I watched. And I, during that time, was thinking to myself, do I want this punishment? Is this, is this worth flipping over there to behold what I'm going over there for, which is to see some of this so that we can, so I can talk and form about. I mean, it's unwatchable level of football. And how many times have I watched Vanderbilt only to get together with you guys to talk about the unwatchable brand of football? This might have been as bad a loss, might have been the worst loss in my time since 1997 watching some Vanderbilt football and then I really like Clark Lee. I think he's got a, as good a chance there as anybody's had to turn it in a direction, to take advantage of the things that are downfalls at Vanderbilt and turn them into positives and making it something unique. But I cringe when I hear things like win the response and learning moment and these little cliched catchphrases about how to turn a brutal loss into some sort of win. I don't, maybe keep those in house. I, I don't know that the public or certainly people like us wanna hear about winning the response and the learning moment in it because it's just a pile of rubble in the moment. Well, he's, here's I think the issue with that. I don't know what else he's supposed to do He's not going to quit, so you have to try to somehow spin it into something positive later in the year. I don't fault him for that, but anytime you have a bunch of sayings and phrases like this, when it goes historically bad like it did on Saturday night, you sound like Butch Jones. There's no way around it. it. You sound like a cliche machine Worse. where fans are just saying, just shut up. Just shut up and take and your also, medicine. He's so you got monotone by ETSU. So I, I don't want to hear pulseless. about the response and everything else that you're throwing in there. there. There's just no other way around that. And keep in mind, guys, ETSU had a 99-yard interception return for a touchdown Call that was back. called back because for, of taunting. For a terrible taunting. Which was penalty. complete BS. There was no Vandy player close enough to taunt. <laughs> They were so far behind that he turned around to celebrate with his team as he's going into the end zone. And it didn't even matter. And they called a, a time. It did not even factor and, and into the game. Here's the bigger thing, and I, I tweeted this out, that I think that this is why the Vandy job is so difficult moving forward. The bigger is, issue is that no one cares. Not enough people care. Look at that crowd. Look at that response. There are high school All teams Vandy more relevant right now. All Vandy fans are praying for is that. You know what they were so excited about? That Montana beat Washington. Montana, who's a great FCS program, but beat Washington. So they're thinking, maybe that lets us off the hook, and no one's going to talk about us losing to ETSU. And Derek Mason, who was bad for most of his time there, didn't lose to an FCS team. This is not something that even Derek Mason accomplished. And I get that the majority of what happened on Saturday night is Derek Mason's fault. 
That is his recruiting. That's his program that was destroyed by transfers and everything else when he left. But that one game product, that's on you, Clark Lee. That's not something that should happen. You're still more talented than ETSU. This, this entire offseason for Clark Lee, he's been testing his players. His players, even post-game, going into the game, they were talking about all these tests that they've had, mentally and physical tests. You know, took away their numbers, and they had to earn their numbers and their name and all that. In a day. Uh, it, it, where did that lead you? You just got Big F. thoroughly dominated by an, uh, an FCS opponent. Let, let's, I don't know. Here's there a couple of things I want to get into this segment, Talking Vandy. Um, overcoming bad losses. What college football program loses to an FCS opponent and lives to tell about it? Um, Georgia State beats Tennessee. That staff didn't live to tell about it. No. Um, that we, also was not an FCS opponent. But uh, uh, bad low, losses. Low level, bad yeah. losses. Well, um, uh, Nebraska loses to Troy. Is, or, you know, or Scott Frost. Is Scott Frost going to live to tell about that? Michigan, Appalachian um, State. Georgia, Georgia Tech, they lost to what, Northern Illinois this weekend? The coaching yeah. staff just go and pack their bags. We, we knew with the way Derek Mason was handling things from the jump, we knew he was in over his head. And looking at the job and the landscape that is ahead for Clark Lee with the talent level that he currently has – and with the way that they, again, they were just, it, it was no fluke who the better team was on Saturday. Everyone knew it. Um, even the writers who try to find supportive ways to describe Vanderbilt football can't do it right now. Um, you know, the Tennessean taking shots at, at, at the Vanderbilt for taking helicopters to recruiting games in high school on Friday and then getting thrown around uh, needing the copter to get out of town on, on Saturday for, for ETSU. I don't know if you overcome a loss like that as a program or as a coaching staff. That, that's the first thing. Like I, Two years from now, we look back on this loss, it still sticks with you because it's hard to build off of a loss like this. Number two, I, in, in watching part of this game, and it, it, was a, it was decided going into the game, and I have no idea why. They were going to rotate quarterbacks. Guess who else that reminded me of? Derek Mason against Temple. And rotating quarterbacks on the third series for no rhyme or reason. There's no rhythm to it. Uh, John Bryce had the report earlier this morning that came out and said that about two weeks ago, they completely flipped their, or made it official, their offensive coordinator's flip-flop with their quarterback coach and their offensive coordinator. Uh, they changed the direction of their offense. Vanderbilt did going into this game. Um, that deserves further evaluation. But, Chad, in, in thinking about the, the quarterback situation with Ken Seals, who is a very good quarterback, take me back to what Brad Lampley said that we should remember about the Tennessee team that took the field on Thursday night and the players. Yeah, these, uh, keep in mind, these guys decided to stay when they had opportunities to leave. Kenny so Seals, before you badmouth them, these are actually the guys who want to be at Tennessee. Going into this football season, let's rewind last week. We would have put Kenny Sills among quarterback talent in the top half of the SEC. He's right in the middle. And he wanted to stay. Kenny Sills decided to stay with this program. And this football staff decided to rotate him with another guy after last year. A guy that stuck through it and could have left to go anywhere in the country to improve his draft stock to actually win. He stuck around to lose to ETSU. And you're taking him out in the third or fourth series. 
That makes zero sense to me. It's like saying Emory Jones at Florida, there's no need to pump the, pump the, the brakes on him yet. There's no true quarterback controversy, despite how bad it went. It's got to get better because we know the kid has talent. I don't know how you go into that game without knowing that Kenny Sills is your guy. Well, and you establish that. It's one of the things that we assumed um, Vandy had was a they, decent they quarterback it. moving forward, was a good young quarterback. And there's not a lot of things that you look at Vandy's roster and think, well, they're going to be okay here. I, I thought that quarterback and receiver, they were going to be okay. They've got some good veterans also at receiver on that team. And that offense was miserable. I and mean, that goes – Clark Lee's a defensive guy, defensive head coach, but – Clearly something wasn't working in offensive coordinator to start the flip that John Bryce reported. And also whatever they flipped to clearly did not work against an ETSU defense that at the very least, if you're Vanderbilt, you line up and run the ball against at some point. They were miserable in all phases. Guys, their three points was a 53-yard field goal. I mean, they were close to getting shut out by this ETSU team. This is... This is next-level horrendous from a program that has majored in next-level horrendous for a century. And, I don't even know how to describe it. And, and the one thing you would say about Clark Lee, we talked to him a, a while ago during the, during the summer, you would say, well, this is a guy who's got a plan and knows what he's doing, right? Even if it goes badly, he's going to endure and everything. Then you say, well, he's flipping his quarterback coach and his coordinator a couple weeks before the season, that's concerning. Then you say, well, do you credit him for recognizing that something's wrong there and he fixed it? Or do you bash him for botching it in the first place? Like, how did he not know who was in the right you bash role? based on this plan, which they're running back again. It is going to be a thorough slaughtering against Colorado State. They're going to play Mike Wright. They're going to... They, they, he announced today, Clark Lee says that Kenny Sills will again start at quarterback, and he reiterates that they will play Mike Wright some too, which means they're going to, they're going to decide what series to enter. It, this makes Mike zero sense. Here. It makes zero sense. I, I mean, again, I'm basing that off of you, you have your, your head coach is, is a guy that knows Vanderbilt athletics, and I, I, I respect him for that. Like, he is he's he's one of them. football. He's black and gold. Your quarterback that was a returning starter bleeds the same as you. And you're, to me, that, it, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but if it was something awful, you wouldn't start Kenny Seals. You'd go with the other guy. This is a plan, and it's a bad one. Here's the other thing about decisions like this, and I can tie this into Tennessee also from Thursday night and something they said at media availability today. If Ken Seals turns out to be Ken Seals of a year ago at any point this season and they start playing him regularly and he starts to turn it around and looks better, um, I'm really questioning what coaches are seeing in practice versus what they see in games at that point. An example is Tennessee on Thursday against Bowling Green rotated their, their inside linebackers. They started with two guys and Banks and Mitchell, and then every time they put in the two backups – you know, that's when Bowling Green actually moved the ball a little bit. They didn't score touchdowns, but they moved it. And they're announcing today, well, we're going to continue doing that because these guys have earned that right in practice. That's when I start to question, well, what are you seeing in practice? Because if that happens again against Pitt, where you have two linebackers that are doing a pretty good job of getting the opposition off the field, then you bring two new guys in, and suddenly the team starts moving it and scoring touchdowns, 
Well, that's an evaluation issue. So if Ken Seals at any point, maybe the offense is just completely broken beyond any repair, and it's not going to matter who's in at quarterback, and we look back and say, well, he's rotating guys because they don't have a quarterback, and oh, by the way, they don't have an offense, which is also ultimately on the head coach. I don't know, but I really start to question what you're seeing in practice if you continue with this and it's not working. Why not start with the guy, the incumbent, getting every chance when he was a bright spot of what you inherited? Not just a bright spot. He's a very good SEC quarterback on a terrible team. Like, to me, he embodies what you're trying to build at at Vanderbilt University. You want kids that will stick around through the thick and thin and be a part of your rebuild. And your message to that is, oh, we're going to rotate you in, which is a horrible idea. This idea that you're going to rotate on the third series, you're going to go to the backup. No matter what's happening. And and Derek Mason was doing this when they'd be pinned back against their seven-yard line and you'd put in a fresh quarterback to go take a safety. I mean, it's just asinine and stupid. It is a stupid outlook on the preparation for a game. And they did that for East Tennessee State. I don't know. In today's college football landscape, when you can transfer out at any point and go play anywhere at any time, I don't know if you're anyone on the Vandy roster and you've got other possibilities of going somewhere else. The re-recruiting job that Clark Lee and his staff will have to do to get guys to stay, I thought it was remarkable that Ken Seal stayed. Honestly. Me too. I thought Me it was too. remarkable they got him to stay. And now he's trotted out there in a two-quarterback system and he's getting embarrassed by 20 to ETSU. Guys, I don't know how you get people to stay anymore. That's going to be really hard because this is going to be pure misery. We just saw the start of this. It's not getting better. One, they're going to start playing legitimate teams now. Colorado teams State way is much better than ETSU. Then they get Stanford, who looked awful against Kansas State, but from what I saw, is 40 points better and than they're going to be licking their chops for the easiest game on their schedule. Then you go to the SEC. I mean, that's, that's tough to live through if you're one of these players. And then to get them to recommit, guys, I promise it's going to get better. I promise it's going to get better. You've got to show a little bit of light. I mean, we all understand you take over a job, it's going to be rough in the beginning. You took over the job for a reason because the, the team, the coach before you didn't get it done most of the time. you got to give them a little bit of light in a game at some point. Yeah. I don't see that happening. And I'm, I'm trying to be darkness. fair to, to the situation. Uh, he, he inherited a really bad team. But the excuse making for Derek Mason was, oh, James Franklin bolted at the right time because Derek Mason inherited the, the scraps. His recruiting was really going down. Derek, Derek Mason. Yeah, he knew this team would be bad, so he got out while he could. And you had a first-time head coach that was in over his head. And if we're going to be critical of Derek Mason against Temple, how do we not rip to shreds Clark Lee for this type of performance where they stood no chance? Couldn't have been worse. Zero chance and I'll, against ETS. Vegas say, didn't see it coming. Derek Mason and that team a year ago looked very uninspired at times in that season, and they were winless in the 0-9 in the SEC-only season. I am convinced that Derek Mason's Vandy team of a year ago would have won by multiple touchdowns against that ETSU team. So is Vegas. So, Vegas, so was, betting, about Vegas was picking the 21. Vandy of last year. Yeah, 21-point yeah. favorite against an FCS team. I mean, I, I'm convinced that that would have happened for, for Derek Mason a year ago. There's a lot of soul searching that's got to go on uh, now for, for Clark Lee and that Vandy football see, team. He's been and it's unfortunate this. for him because, and look, he's helped create this also, but this is game one. This is supposed to be the, okay, let's go out and get my first win as a coach 
and then it's going to be real rocky and rough the rest of the way. No one was expecting this. When no the, one. When the response, Chad. When the response. Got to well, win something. Chad, to your point, I mean, this is, uh, this is game one after you finally have a university that's backing you. Uh, Chancellor Deermeyer's walking the press room, uh, the, the, the press box, shaking the hands of the media members who actually decided or was told to go cover this terrible game. Told, yeah, nobody's decided. Um, you know, face-to-face -face contact with uh, leadership at the university. Instead of running down the back steps of the Wild Horse Saloon, you have the chancellor who's screaming upstairs. Screaming anchor down. Yeah, screaming anchor down. You have the chancellor going, going person to person, sh uh, shaking hands and getting to know people. Uh, this is pregame, of course. Um, you, you have the, the backing monetarily with uh, the, the athletic facilities and much more. The, the night prior, you're taking a helicopter. They took a helicopter from Vanderbilt to Montgomery Bell Academy just to show a presence. They wanted people to notice Vanderbilt across Middle Tennessee, across Nashville. He took a helicopter literally half a mile down the street to go and recruit and be, and be noticed. You're, now you're noticed, and honestly, you're an afterthought. You as a program, there are high school programs in the mid-state that deserve more coverage than Vanderbilt football right now, and that's what's sad. I wonder if they're going to put response standings up on the wall. Their upcoming schedule, Vanderbilt at Colorado State. They will then host Stanford. They host Georgia. They host UConn. And then they travel to Florida, travel to South Carolina, Mississippi State, Missouri, Kentucky, Ole Miss, Tennessee. That UConn game could be the two worst programs in the I, country. I think, I think they'll get UConn. I really do. I, I've seen both now. And as crazy as that sounds, that they just <laughs> Why did you watch the UConn game? I watched UConn play Fresno State and play a high school team. Why did you watch that? And, and even, I mean, look. Vandy is miserable by any metric. They're miserable. Oh. But Vandy, if Clark Lee puts his hand up to get in a huddle right now, at least they're going to do that. Yeah, was there nobody else? I mean, unless UConn now is motivated by Edsel. Edsel was the problem, and they're you know, motivated again that he's gone. I, I would say Vandy minus seven did, at home against UConn if that game's you, played tomorrow. Did UConn have an exclusive window that you watched that game? No, I didn't watch. I, I did follow the – I was listening uh, to something, running errands. And I heard that the, the, <laughs> UConn scored a touchdown against Holy Cross. They also lost an FCS team by double digits. But they, they looked good on offense. They scored 28 against Holy Cross. But that first touchdown uh, was their first touchdown since October of 2019. Because they did not score a touchdown in the, mo uh, the month of November that year and then opted out of football in 2020. And uh, the guy on the call, it was a SiriusXM channel I was listening to, and he said, good news for UConn. They scored their first touchdown since 20, uh, October of 2019. Bad news, they trailed 24-7 to Holy Cross. <laughs> I mean, they were already getting killed by Holy Cross. I was like, man, that's a rough start to your Saturday. I that love, was an 11 a.m. kickoff, too. I'm like, that's a rough start. I love that Chad's like, we, we, after we just saw what ETSU did to Vandy, he's like, you know what, I'll think they'll get UConn. <laughs> I mean, maybe, guys. That's got to go in the parlay that weekend. Maybe I'm the no champion. No matter who's got it. Maybe I'm the champion of the response. <laughs> yeah, this you is win what, the response. Uh, this is what Vandy needs in their locker room is someone with my positivity about that. Guys, we got UConn. Got UConn. I promise. I saw yeah. their game. We Just got Just a em. couple more weeks. Hold on, boys. We talked Tennessee Vols and Tennessee Titans. We'll, we'll start with the Titans when we return on Outkick 360. Hang with us.
Outkick 360 across the Outkick network alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. We are seeing clearly with Dr. Toyos and Toyos Clinic. We do this each and every Monday. Seeing clearly the Tennessee Titans going into week one for the NFL season as they face the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, a lot to get to with uh, the, 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 the Titans and in the depth chart, injury report. We'll get all that officially tomorrow as they uh, announce their, their opening injury report going into the week. Um, but we start with Julio Jones, who has restructured his contract. Paul, we are, we're seeing new numbers for the veteran. We are. Uh, so they added voidable years at the end to push out money. So his, his base salary is under $2 million this year, and they pushed out $14 million. Fans immediately are like, oh, something big's coming. Something big's coming. Nothing big's coming. It's contingency money. They always get themselves elbow room so that if something big happens during the year, they don't have to panic. They can do what they need to do. It's hard to find something that big to do during the year, but they yes. can do it if they need to do it. And you have that money free now. If you don't use it, you push it forward onto the 2022 salary cap. So uh, they've been reluctant to do voidable years. They've now have voidable years on at least Jayon Brown, Ryan Tannehill, and Julio Jones. So this is a, a bit of a change in thinking and structure but they have no salary cap concerns now this year with contingencies, with COVID crisis, with injury problems. If, if a key guy goes out and breaks his leg on Sunday and they wanna try to make a trade to bring in somebody that's got a big salary or something like that, the salary cap won't be a reason that they won't do that. So that's what it boils down to, basically. And Jones is under contract through at least 2022, maybe 2023. But the question has always been, you know, are they going to only get a year out of him or only get two years out of him? So what's his base this year? <clears throat> it's down to like 1.3 or something like that. Now, he's got a lot of money in his pocket um, from, from what's going on here because they convert it to, to bonus. Uh, John Glennon tweets out the Titans have released – uh, Bradley McDougald leaving 51 on their active roster instead of you're, ask, you're asking why not 53 that's because they're going to bring players back off the COVID list that's the expectation and that's anyway. Jones and Davis yeah so those, those are your 53 Jones on. and Davis will be here uh, for the opening kickoff against the Cardinals they're currently not on the active roster that's an indication they soon will be also Brady Breeze was placed on their COVID-19 list uh, their rookie safety. Uh, they have protected two practice squad players for week one, Matt Barkley and Michael Pruitt, who they just recently added uh, as late as last week. Yeah, uh, it was we in process, that. but then it took several days for probably him to get to town and get the physical, and they didn't have practices and stuff, so it wasn't a ticking clock. Paul, uh, I tweeted out, guess who has moved up the depth chart for the Tennessee Titans. They don't put, they, well, at least Vrabel says, they don't put, put much thought and effort into this. Yeah, this is big. Uh, hard to believe that the one area where Vrabel doesn't have uh, any control over anything related to football is the unofficial depth chart and the media guide. Here's a hint. He knows what's on that, on that chart when Shockingly, it's released. Shockingly, one move of significance on this depth chart. 
Yeah, mention what you've noticed. Josh Reynolds, no longer one of the three starting wide receivers. Chester Rogers is one of the starting three wide receivers. So Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, and Chester Rogers with Josh Reynolds behind Chester Rogers. Chester Rogers, interestingly enough, is the one receiver on this roster who really is a dedicated slot receiver. Beyond him, I think everybody can play anywhere. And uh, if Josh Reynolds was, in fact, the starting one of the starting three, I think they would have moved guys around. If Chester Rogers is on the field, he's going to be in the slot virtually all the time. Um, any other combination of three, I think anybody could be in the slot and will be in the slot. Uh, Chester Rogers, I think it's unlikely we'll see him line up outside. He'll be a dedicated slot receiver almost certainly. But, but that's an interesting move that well, is a commentary on Josh Reynolds. Dare I ask on Josh Reynolds, could this possibly be because of a lack of explosion <laughs> that's led him to this spot. Is A.J. Brown could, could upset be. about this? I, I don't know. We'll have to ask A.J. Brown. Somebody commented I, I want A.J. Brown to subtweet the Titans' official account <laughs> and uh, just this go on an chart. Go on an F-bomb tirade about slapping the clear. face and disrespecting my boy who's now been moved on, out of the starting line. Let's be clear. There was chart. nothing sub about that tweet. No. <laughs> That was direct. It's all about you. No, I want a direct, a direct shot ball. at the Titans official. <laughs> this unofficial depth chart that Vrabel has nothing to do with needs to shut their effing mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Tired of this disrespect. Yeah. It's all good. Chester Rogers has worked his butt off and is a better receiver than Josh Reynolds right now. And the Titans, uh, there's some things to like about the way they behave and some things not to like. But they're not putting guys... Uh, largely, they don't put guys in slots based on their contracts and their veteran status and stuff. They play the best guys. And Chester Rogers right now is one of the three best guys. It would be interesting if Marcus Johnson was healthy what they would do. But he's not healthy. He's on IR. Well, let, let's go into uh, a layer or two deeper here with what this means. Um, the starting three. So Malcolm Butler retires from the Arizona Cardinals. He was slated to start on the outside. And the Titans would have liked to keep, uh, kept Malcolm Butler. They just couldn't because of the salary cap. They couldn't pay him uh, to stick around. Um, they are now probably, at the very least, they're rotating in a rookie that they would have liked to have not had the, well, maybe they want to rotate it, but not as much on a four-deep corner rotation. Now the rookie is involved. He's a fourth-round pick, Paul. Um, you're pulling up their depth chart, I believe. Yes. Um, they have two veterans starting on the outside or listed as starters, and they have a rookie backup corner that uh, some of the riders in Arizona are talking about how he was rotating in anyway and was on the up, uh, one of the upcoming players in, in training camp. I think Wilson, Luke Barku is the guy in question. Uh, Marco Wilson, those are the two Marco backups Wilson is behind the Byron Murphy and Robert Alford. Marco Wilson is the rookie uh, fourth-round pick that will now be a part of coverages I'm, I'm not saying he's in, he's in charge of covering A.J. Brown or Julio Jones because there'll be, uh, be a combination of coverages that will be trying to stop them. But now you're, you're asking a rookie to jump in. And now Chester Rogers is the third option who can benefit from this. Yes, Chester Rogers should be a guy that can get to the sticks and get some first downs, you would think. And Josh Reynolds should be in the mix here too. We should point that out. It's yeah, like he's, he's not benched. Not, not benched. Uh, by any means. Uh, by the way, as we were talking about, uh, f down to 51 with room now for Jones and Davis to mm -hmm. be activated, Racy McMath survives that. And we were all presuming, the beat people out there, that McMath was definitely going to go. 
Well, you know what that um, means. They, they weren't lying when they said he's our gunner. Yeah. We drafted him to be the gunner. It's still rather remarkable to me uh, that you're shaping a roster with that many wide receivers to keep a gunner not only on the 53, but conceivably on the 46 or 48, 48 yeah. on game day. So uh, that'll be something to track on the uh, 90 minutes before kickoff if he's up and active to gun. Um, on, on Sunday against Cardinals on special teams. Toyo's Clinic Outkick 360's trusted partner for all things LASIK and hair restoration. You can call 888-315-3937. 888-315-3937 to schedule your consultation today with Toyo's Clinic. Again, that number, 888-315-3937 for Toyo's Clinic. The Tennessee Power Hour on Outkick 360 with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Coming up tonight at 6th and Peabody from our studios here in downtown Nashville, the benefit concert for the Waverly Flood Victims with the Songwriters Roundtable tonight. Craig Campbell, Jason Seaver, Chris Weaver, Chase Beckham, Tiffany Goss, Kanan Smith, Will Nance, and more. It's a free charity concert tonight starting at 7 o'clock. It'll run to about 9.30 or 10 o'clock. All proceeds to the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee and a portion of every moonshine and beer tasting from today through Saturday goes to the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee. Plus, there are on-site donations accepted tonight through Sunday. It's going to be a great evening here at 6th and Peabody. Can't wait for that. Some updates, Paul, on the Titans roster and practice squad. Yeah, so they waived Bradley McDougald. They released from the practice squad uh, offensive lineman Derwin Gray. Brady Breeze moves from injured reserve to COVID-19. And then they got three on the practice squad, McDougald. So the weekend transactions allow both of those transactions to happen. He cleared waivers, apparently, and got to the practice squad. Corey Levin to the practice squad and Chris Jones, uh, Levin and Jones, cut recently onto the practice squad, which I think is now full at 16. What's the, what's the opening line? It was one point. Uh, early in the last I saw was one and a half you could get the Titans minus one against the Cardinals last I saw was Titans minus three I thought now it's up to three and I think it's probably been there for a a few weeks Um, you guys knew whenever the the schedule came out I thought initially when the schedule popped out that this was uh, shaping up to be an 0-2 start for the Titans this is pre Julio Jones trade and all that I think this is a much more difficult season opener than what many people realize with Arizona. I don't love the Cardinals, but I just think the Titans offense worries me. They have not been together. They, they'll be together probably for three days now to game plan this, to work out the game plan for this game, which is great. I still think there's bound to be some miscommunications and some, some stagger, stutter stuff. It's minus three. In this game. Okay. Um, and they, they've been a little bit of slow start. Last year, the Denver game, they won it, but it was ugly. Um, yep. I, I worry about the cohesion and all that. The offensive line hasn't been together. They don't even know who the right tackle is yet. Um, you know, they've got three guys, slash line. Vrabel's talking like all three of them are going to play. Julio Jones has hardly worked with them. Henry hasn't worked. Uh, and I, I worry and about I pointed this out multiple times. You like the idea of him uh, getting more work than he's gotten. Yeah, well, I mean, Henry has, starts slow. Now, he's the best running back in football. Uh, I'm not trying to downplay his 
his uh, overall talents here. He just starts slow, and slow can be 3.7 yards per carry or less than four, and then by October he's averaging over six. But that means a lot right out of the chute when you're relying on a run game as your offense comes along or you need some, some time to get some reps in and find your rhythm. It's been A.J. Brown and John New Smith uh, last year, for instance, that really carried the way. Corey Davis was part of it too, but mainly A.J. and Janu. Um, you know, I'm not worried about A.J. and Tannehill. I'm worried about Tannehill and Julio. But these are two, uh, as Coach Dave McGinnis would say, real vets that should come in and know how to work in tandem. Although when you think about it, Julio's worked with one quarterback his career. His Hall of Fame career has been with Matt Ryan. And beyond that, um, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it because Tannehill developed a nice rapport with the players that he jumped in and played with here when he had a run game behind him. He didn't have much rapport with some of these guys whenever he was backing up Marcus. Well, the other thing is Todd Downing has not called live plays well, for this group. You know, usually yeah. you'd have some live periods and you'd do a little bit in the preseason game at least where there'd be, you know, you'd have to face some live situations, second and four. Okay, what do I do here? Mm-hmm. Even in the vanilla package that we're running. And at practice, you know, they run a lot of live stuff. They have some live practices. Okay, we're running a 20-minute live period right now with no prescribed script he hasn't done any of that with the full offense it's an interesting tidbit just looking through fan duel the odds uh, for week one across the nfl two of the three biggest lines are two of the featured primetime games tampa and dallas tampa minus seven and a half la rams minus seven and a half against chicago on Sunday Night Football also. Well, I'd say the whole the other seven on the and a half Rams game spread, is that the Bears are a good defense. They could keep that down for a while. There's one other seven and a half point spread. 49ers favored by seven and a half over Detroit. Those yeah. are the three biggest lines of the week. You're, putting a, you're, you're hurting my buzz. <laughs> well, but the point being, that's Thursday Night Football and Sunday you're Night Football. You're hurting my buzz. Those yeah. are the two games I get to see. Uh, the Super Bowl champion, 13 and three. Um, and 11-4 and 13-3 uh, straight up in the season opener on this Thursday night. 11-4 uh, and 1 against the spread in these NFL kickoff I games. think the Bucks are getting too many people are too easily just sliding them right in. I think they're going to be good. I think they're, they'll get hurt. Somebody's getting hurt on the Bucks. There'll be a wrench By the in way, there somewhere. Hey, don't, don't – I, I, I would be hesitant to take – uh, um, Tampa and give the points here because with Prescott they averaged nearly 33 points per game last year. The Cowboys did. Their their offense was humming. I need to see that defense in uh, operation before I buy that they can stop anybody from scoring. Hutton, I'm disappointed. I just saw as, as I'm scrolling through FanDuel that Armenia is playing Liechtenstein. Oh, you soccer. would have been well, Let's go ahead. Let's and, load and up. You know what? I, you know what I saw. Ty is plus 700. You know what I did. <laughs> Clicked on that tie button. Five dollars wins you thirty-five dollars if Armenia and Liechtenstein oh, ties. What? And if I know international soccer the way that I think that I know it, I'm willing to bet that that's going to be a draw. I'm going to bet ten dollars. Chad, based on what we saw in person for Tennessee, they are getting three and a half points right now at yep. home. Saturday, it'll be afternoon. It'll be morning here. Saturday morning kickoff between Tennessee and Pitt. Are you taking the points of the balls at home? Uh, no. Three and a half. No, I, I, like, I like Pittsburgh in this game. And, and here's really the, the biggest reason why. I would like Tennessee in this game 
based on what I saw and based on their tempo and how they're going to play, if Pitt wasn't starting a sixth-year quarterback with all the experience in the world that's going to be an NFL draft pick, anything other than the sixth-year QB with experience going into Neyland Stadium that has been there and done that that's probably going to be a late-round draft pick, um, I would favor Tennessee in this game. But I, I think it's so tough to tell. You know, you look at the, their first two games uh, for Tennessee and UMass – or Tennessee and, and, and for uh, Pitt, they play basically the same team. Pitt and or UMass and Bowling Green are two of the worst teams in FBS. So Pitt won easily, Tennessee won easily. There's not a lot of huge takeaways from those games. I just like the sixth year. We're going to talk a lot more about this oh, game yeah. as the week goes on. I like the six-year QB in this this situation, and I still we just don't know what Tennessee has defensively. We know Tennessee's got an identity on offense, at least what they're going to try to do. We talked with Brent Hubbs about this. That's also a very quick three and out when you get stuffed on first down. It is, yeah. When you run that fast, and that's what they saw in that Can Joe quarter. Milton be more accurate with the football? That's what this game well, comes it's, down it's to. it's two things for Milton, though. You know, it's not just accuracy. It's sight. Joe Milton missed many guys that he were wide open. He didn't see it clearly He wasn't at all. seeing guys in the middle of the field. I don't know if that was by design, not wanting to throw it between the numbers. Oh, it was not why he did time. see. We, we asked about this. He, I think it keeps motioning the one receiver – uh, who eventually broke wide open. He, just, yeah. he decides to go back to the left. Now, it was a big play. They got inside the 10, I believe, uh, inside the 15 on the, on the catch and run down the left sideline. But, I mean, he, he gave up what could have been a touchdown throw. I think the most concerning thing is that what I saw from Joe Milton is exactly what Michigan people said about Joe Milton. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Some inconsistencies, great arm, great athlete, but doesn't always see the field that well, and there's some inconsistencies with accuracy. And that's what we saw. And his biggest play of the night was just throwing it into the end zone to give his guy a chance. I thought his two best deep balls of the night, one was incomplete, one was a touchdown to Tillman. People were saying he underthrew it. That wasn't a bad throw because Tillman's looking back at the football and the DB is out of position not seeing the ball, and he just went up and got it. The other one was the Hail Mary at the end of the first half. Because when he first threw it, I thought he threw another one out of the end zone, and that was placed perfectly to give his receivers a chance to catch the Hail Mary. Other than that, maybe it's a guy too pumped up, or maybe it's a guy that you hope but is inaccurate. And that's what I saw in that first game. FanDuel.com slash OK360. The link to hit for first-time users. NFL Week 1 coming up, kicking off on Thursday night. But you've got all weekend to place your first bet with FanDuel. New users, 40 to 1 odds on any NFL team to win opening weekend. It's a straight money line bet. You're, the max bonus is $200. You're going to bet $5, 40 to 1 odds. You're going to win 200 uh, on any team. Deposit required is $10. A $10 minimum deposit, fanduel.com slash OK360. It's got to be your first bet. So as soon as you make your deposit, make this your first bet. Bet five to win 200 any money line offer right now, fanduel.com slash OK360. And as a reminder, on the parlay tonight, we're taking Tampa Bay, Atlanta, and San Francisco on the money line. They're all favorites. And because of that, we've added two uh, matches with the European qualifiers as well. England has brought their A game to the European qualifiers. They did that last week. No reason to expect they won't continue to do that. And Belgium with Lukaku just continues to dominate. And uh, look, we, we could use the extra boost. They're minus 750. It gets us better odds. It's plus 670 uh, with the five-leg parlay. Again, Tampa, 
win a, they won a wild one in Boston, had to go through a lot of their bullpen. Atlanta was off yesterday. Washington was not. So let's go with the Braves. And Logan Webb for San Francisco has been absolutely lights out. Uh, Gonzalez for the Rockies has been the opposite. Load up on the Giants, the Braves, and the Rays. If you really want to load up, Armenia, Liechtenstein, draw. I just put 10 on that. I like it. I like it, Paul. 10 pays what? 70 bucks. 70 bucks. There you go. That's how you go big. We are back at it tomorrow. We That's are live go each big. and every day from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw and Old Smoky Moonshine. Live at 2 o'clock Central, 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll hope you'll join us across the Outkick Network for Outkick 360. I implore you, do not block the box and do lock the locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.